Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Wassalatu wassalam ala abdillahi wa rasulihi nabiyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in amma ba'd. So what we're going to do now to complete the uh, the series that we've been doing on the topic of fiqh al-madhab, the fiqh of the madhab from the book Kafi al-Mubtadi, that which is sufficient for the beginner and from its summary, Akhsar al-Mukhtasarat, the shortest of the summaries, yani the, the, the most summarized of all the summaries, Akhsar al-Mukhtasarat. We're going to go on to Kitab al-Zakah. Because as I said, the objective behind this exercise is not that you should learn the fiqh of everything. Because in reality, as we said, if we started Bulugh al-Maram, on a Wednesday in Al-Barsha. And Bulugh al-Maram yani is a similar, it covers similar topics, maybe in a little bit more detail. And so far we haven't, in two years, we haven't finished the topic of the prayer. So what about yani, something like this? For sure, yani, we're not going to be able to finish everything. But one of the things that I really want you guys to be able to do is to be able to learn how to use the book. And if I look through the areas that you're probably not familiar with, so in the beginning we did Tahara, and I think pretty much everyone is fairly familiar with that, and so it was quite easy for everybody to do, the issue of of purification and washing and stuff like that. And then a little bit about the prayer, and again, that was quite a gentle introduction. Today, I hope you got a good night's sleep last night, because today we have Kitab al-Zakah, and this is probably something that many people, there will be a lot of terminology that people struggle with. There will be a lot of numbers, a lot of masail that you're not familiar with. Because in reality, the vast majority of us are only concerned with one or two types of zakah. Most of us. We only give attention to one or two types of the zakah. And that is the zakah on money, meaning gold and silver, and naqt, any gold and silver and, and currency. And sometimes the zakah on business goods. But how many of us give attention to the zakah on camels? Just any, while we're starting, since the masjid is not full, any, we'll tell you any. Sometimes you get strange things happen. So one of the new Muslims came to us, and you know when they, they want to... Uh, to get married, they go to the court and usually they ask them a few questions to make sure they're practicing Islam. So you know normally they ask them what are the five pillars of Islam, what are the six pillars of Iman, you know maybe they might ask them to recite Surah Al-Fatiha. This one went to one of the courts and the guy said to him, okay, you're a Muslim? He said, yes. He said, practicing? He said, okay, what is the zakah on camels? I don't, I, wallah, I will say to you, Yani Bijid, I have not memorized the zakat on camels. And his zakat on camels is complicated. And it's useful if you have camels. But <laughs> if you don't have any camels, Yani, like it's, like, it's not the first thing you would learn in Islam. 
it's not the first thing that you would expect a person to learn in Islam. Why are we doing zakah today? It's mostly I want you to be familiar with the terminology and I also want you to appreciate how much we don't know as Muslims. You know, this is a basic book. This is the beginner's level book of fiqh. And there are so many things in it that we are not familiar with because maybe we don't practice them day in and day out in our lives. So I wanted us to get that recognition. And I also wanted us to become familiar with some terminology that we're probably not familiar with or not many of us will be familiar with uh, because of, of the rarity or the fact that we don't deal with it so much. As for fasting and, uh, and hajj, then you know I would expect that most of you would be quite familiar with those masail, yani a lot of those issues will, you will have come across. You know, a lot of you will have come across those issues. When do I take off my ihram in hajj? If you've made hajj before, uh, do I have to wait until the sacrifice is done? And those kind of things. And then the other issue of, uh, you know, in fasting, uh, you know, when we start fasting and when we stop fasting and the things that break the fast. And, you know, many people come in Ramadan and asking to toothpaste break the fast. And all that, you know, so I think these issues people are fairly familiar with because people ask a lot about them. Whereas... I think with zakah, it's probably out of the pillars of Islam, it's probably the least understood of all of them. So I thought today we could do a little bit from Kitab Az-Zakah. Also, we're going to have a little, a little sort of revision session at the end. Uh, remember, the, the brothers from Kalima have asked us to do this uh, recently. They've said to us that if on the last uh, you know, week of the four weeks, we can do a little revision session sort of just kind of giving people an idea of what it is that you might get in the exam and sort of helping people to be able to prepare properly for the exam. Okay. The author said, Kitab Az-Zakah, the book of Zakah. Az-Zakah in the language of the Arabs, it means increase and purification. Linguistically, it means Atur Wanama Purification and Anama Yani that it will it will increase, it will get something which, which develops and get becomes larger in number. And that is or that tells us two of the fundamental purposes behind the zakah. The first is that the zakah purifies your wealth. Because at the end of the day, all of us try to keep our wealth halal, right? Nobody, you know, nobody here, you know, tries to or, or is, you know, drowning in haram wealth. Everyone is trying to keep their wealth halal, inshallah. At the same time, there are things that creep in. Things you are not aware of. The source of the money that you are given. Perhaps you yourself work for a company and maybe some of the time, you know, there were some flaws in the way, in some of the things that you did. Some of the things were not according to the conditions. Ultimately, who of us can say that 100% of our wealth is absolutely pure and, you know, from, from the source of it right down to how we spent it and what we did with it. At the end of the day, we aim for this, but we all have flaws in this aspect or these aspects or many of us have flaws in these aspects the zakah is intended to purify 
to clean your wealth out of anything that you might be unaware of. As for what you are aware of, the zakah cannot clean your wealth from this. Any you sold alcohol, paying zakah on that will not purify that wealth. And it will, I mean, it will not make that wealth pure. Because this is something knowingly that you did that was knowingly and deliberately wrong. That it can only be purified by a tawbah, by repentance. However, the zakah purifies those things that you are not aware of. You were selling grapes and you didn't know that the person who bought those grapes went off and made wine with them. He came for the purpose of making wine. But he didn't tell you that. And you're just selling grapes to people. So you sold him the grapes and you didn't realize that he's going to go and make wine with it. These are examples of things that you're unaware of. And the zakah cleans your wealth. The second thing that your, the zakah does is it increases your wealth. It increases it in multiple ways. One of the ways that the zakah increases your wealth and the zakah increases your, your, your wealth in a dunya sense in two ways. Number one, barakah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala puts blessings in your wealth. And some of you know, sometimes subhanAllah, you get a large amount of money and that money goes from your hand as though you never had it. To the point that after two or three days you say, Wallahi, I don't know where this money went. I got this money, let's say for example, unexpectedly. I received 5,000 dirhams. And today, 200 dirhams is left and I can't even remember where the rest went. Vaguely something went on this and something went on that, but it just, it's like it disappeared out of my hand. And sometimes a very small amount of money and there's barakah in it. You just had 200 dirhams. But subhanAllah, it lasted you the whole month and you bought many things and you still have some left. The barakah in your wealth, zakah puts barakah in your wealth. And also in a literal sense, zakah increases your wealth. Because when you give your wealth in zakah, and likewise when you give it in sadaqah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives you more in return. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives you more in return. Literally, not just he gives you more reward or gives you more ajr or gives you more in jannah. Allah azza wa jal literally gives you more wealth. Wealth that was not going to come to you gets unlocked. It's like you had some wealth waiting for you in a vault, locked up. When you give the zakah, it becomes unlocked and that wealth comes to you. So it increases your wealth. The Prophet said, ما نقص مال من صدقة. Wealth never decreased because of charity. And this is, subhanAllah, and if you think about what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala promised in the example in Surah Al-Baqarah, of the example of the one who spends in the way of Allah, like the seed from which grows an ear of corn, which has seven ears and in each one is a hundred seeds. And seven hundred seeds come out of that one seed. 
This is the example of the one who spends in the way of Allah. They give a seed, that seed grows, the, the, the plant grows out of it, the plant, the corn plant, it has seven ears, that those ears have a hundred, each one of them has a hundred seeds in it. And then Allah said, Wallahu yasha. Allah gives even more than that for whoever He wants. Some of the scholars said the minimum you will get back out of everything that you spend is 700 times. And Allah Azza wa gives you in the dunya and in the akhirah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives you in the dunya and Allah Azza wa gives you in the akhirah by preparing for you rewards and possessions in paradise, like houses in paradise, like the hadith, man bana lillahi baytan, bana Allahu lahu masjidan fil jannah. Whoever builds a masjid for Allah, Allah builds for him a house in Jannah. Allah builds for him a house in Jannah. And so on. And so zakah is the, if you like, zakah is the obligatory element of charity. Because zakah is not something that we have a choice in. In. Zakah is the obligatory element of charity And that is why And I want you to understand This is very important for all of you to understand That zakah is heavily regulated What we mean by that is Sadaqah is not heavily regulated Okay, You can give sadaqah to whoever you want You can even give sadaqah to A person who is rich If you, if you want to Or if you didn't know that they were rich you can give sadaqah to a rich person. You can give sadaqah even to a non-Muslim if they're not going to use it for something haram. You can give sadaqah to somebody who is your, you know, your closest family member. You can, you know, you can be flexible with what you do with the sadaqah. You can, you know, uh, for example, give sadaqah for educational initiatives. You can give sadaqah for poverty relief. You can give sadaqah for just you know for for something that you have a passion for you know like saving the environment or whatever it is sadaqah is very lightly regulated as for zakah zakah is extremely strictly regulated meaning that you do not have flexibility on who you give the zakah to the zakah goes to very specific individuals and very specific projects and one of the things which is very sad in these days is the lack of strictness in the collection of the zakat. Now, alhamdulillah, here in the UAE, it's not so bad because you give it to recognized charities. But I'm talking about my experience from the UK. There are people asking zakat for TV channels. And this is not permissible. And this is a very, 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 very diluted understanding of the zakat. And they said, this is, you know, fi sabilillah and you know, so on. But wallahi, yani, there are people asking zakah for things that should not be from those things that zakah is spent upon. So it's very important that we understand zakah is not sadaqah. You know, you want to set up an Islamic TV channel, take the sadaqah of the people. But you do not have a right to their zakah. You do not even have the right to build a masjid with zakah. Nor do you have a right to support an orphanage with zakah. Nor do you have a right to build a school with zakah. 
Allahumma, unless those orphans are fuqara, are poor, are, are poor people who are in a state of poverty, whereas they receive the money because of their poverty, not because they are orphans. There is no zakah for the orphan. The zakah is for very specific individuals. Yes, there is zakah for an orphan if the orphan is poor, but the zakah comes to that person because they are poor, not because they are an orphan. Allah did not legislate this. So it's very important we see projects where they are like, you know, give us your zakah, give us your zakah. Wallahi, be very careful. If you are not, I mean, alhamdulillah, if it is regulated by the government, it's better. I mean, if you're in a Muslim country and the government takes your zakah or the major charity takes it and they spend it in the right way, this is better. But many of us live in places or are involved in places where there is no, you know, you, you are responsible for your own zakah. No one is going to knock on the door and say, give me your zakah. And so people come and ask your zakah for things that there is no, that are not legislated under the laws of zakah. So it's very heavily regulated. The scholars define it as a right of certain types of wealth for certain types of people at certain times. I find these definitions to be any interesting. They're kind of they're kind of fun. A right for certain or a right in certain kinds of wealth for certain kinds of people at certain times. What do they mean a right in certain kinds of wealth? First of all, zakah is a right of the wealth. Zakah doesn't look in general at the owner. With There are some exceptions to that, but in general, zakah is concerned with the wealth itself, with, with, with the actual wealth, and not with the one who owns the wealth. We're going to come to a couple of exceptions when we start studying the, the, the conditions of zakah. Certain kinds of wealth, what does that tell us? That zakah is not due on every kind of wealth. It is due on some kinds of wealth, certain types of wealth, not on every kind of wealth. And in fact, the types of wealth zakah is due upon is probably all we're going to cover today. It's probably all we're going to have time to cover today is the other types of wealth that zakah is due upon. And actually, it is, it's really quite limited. It's really quite limited. The types of wealth that zakah is due upon for certain people, and this is what I alluded to earlier, that zakah is not to be given to everyone. Sadaqah, yes. Zakah, no. Allah Azza wa Jal very clearly explained who zakah is due for. Innama sadaqatu lil fuqara wal masakin wal aminin alayha wal mu'allafati qulubuhum wa fi riqabi wal gharimina wa fi sabilillahi wa binasabil. Seven categories that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in the Quran. Zakah is for the faqir. Who is the faqir? And the miskin. So the faqir and the miskin. The scholars differ over which one is which. 
But in reality, the definition is the same. One of them is the one who is in abject poverty. Yani someone you would say is poor, living in poverty. The second one is the one who is not living in poverty, but doesn't have enough for their basic needs. You know, can't pay the rent. Struggling maybe to buy food, enough food for the family. You know, maybe their children have uh, clothing and they, they can't buy, they, you know, the, the, the children's shoes are worn out and they can't buy new shoes for them. This person is not living in poverty. I mean, they have food to eat, they have a house over their head. However, they don't have enough to be able to live to a basic standard. Not, I don't have enough to eat out twice a week, or I don't have enough to buy the latest phone, or no, I don't have enough to live to a basic standard. I don't have enough to pay my rent, I don't have enough to buy food, I don't have enough to cover my essential bills like electricity, I don't have enough to buy clothing or to pay me a medical, medical expenses. And some of the scholars said, if someone doesn't have enough to send their child to school, this can be included. Because sending your child to school, they said, is an essential element of life. But that doesn't mean sending them to the best school or whatever, but somebody whose children are not even able to read and write because they could not send them to, they could not afford to send them to school. And likewise, someone who can't afford to pay a medical bill, if the medical procedure is essential to their life. So this person has a roof over their head, they have food, but they're not able to pay the basic things that they need to be able to live and to be able to survive. These are the first two. وَالْعَامِلِينَ عَلَيْهَا And those people who collect the zakah. So if the government or the charity has a group of people or a person who is what we would call a tax collector, they go around and they collect the zakah from people, then this individual likewise is required to uh, or is able to take a salary from the zakah. And this makes a lot of sense because if the government yani, effectively pays for somebody to go around from place to place and collect the zakah, that person is allowed to take a salary from the zakah according to what the government have appointed for that person to take. This is probably the one where there is a lot of uh, disagreement. This is the non-Muslim whose heart would be inclined to Islam because of the zakah. So you have a non-Muslim and their hearts would be, any, they, you feel that if they were given some of the zakah to, for example, to, to clear a debt of theirs or you know, because of their poverty, they were given something from the zakah, this would bring their heart to Islam. Some of the scholars said this was only for the time of the early days of Islam when Islam, when Islam was in need of numbers. And some of them said that this doesn't apply yani, when Islam has a large number of people and Islam is, yani, is apparent. You know, it, it applies in places or in situations where the Muslims are weak and few in number. And others also talked about whether every Muslim can decide that or whether it's only the ruler who has the right to decide 
whose heart is inclined to Islam and there is a lot of like there's a lot of discussion on that I'm just giving you an introduction this is not from the madhab I'm just giving you an introduction to zakah as a topic yeah. and freeing the slaves so if there are Muslim slaves who are in slavery and they and can be freed then the zakah can be used to pay for their freedom mean those who are in debt it can be used to clear a person's debt Again, there are conditions of that, and we're not going to get into too many. Uh, but the concept that zakah can be used to clear a person's debt in certain circumstances. This is where we get either the narrow interpretation or the wide interpretation. The narrow interpretation of fi sabilillah is jihadan fi sabilillah. Any for jihad. To, to, for, the, for the Muslim government to arm their army because of course to, to feed and clothe and give weapons to an army is not a cheap thing. So for example, if the Muslim ruler has a group of soldiers and they are going to go out and fight and they don't have enough camels to take them in those days or enough swords or enough arrows or whatever, then the zakah can be used to do so. Now, on a very wide interpretation, there are people who everything fi sabilillah they put in they put in this category, including masajid and schools and libraries and so on. And this is not correct because this is giving far too wide of an understanding for something which has a very narrow understanding. There is some there are some difference of opinion on things like da'wah. Is da'wah does da'wah is da'wah included in fi sabilillah? But the apparent meaning of the ayah is to arm or to provide provisions for the army. Ibn al-Sabil. Ibn al-Sabil is a particular kind of poor person. And it's a poor person who is cut off from their wealth. So this individual in of themselves are rich. They in of themselves are wealthy. But they are cut off from their wealth. For example, they are traveling. Their wealth is back home. Back home they have plenty of wealth and they are traveling and they run out of money and so they become a poor person in their circumstances even though they are a wealthy person in, in reality if you look at their whole situation. This person can be given enough zakah for them to reach their wealth. I mean, for example, a ticket to return home. The person says, well, I'm stuck. I don't have enough money for a ticket. Even though he's wealthy, she's wealthy. I don't have enough money. I'm stuck and I need someone. Someone can pay from the zakah for them to be able to reach their home, to be able to reach their wealth. And again, all of these have conditions and rules and regulations and the issue is not easy. You know, there's, with zakah, you have to be very careful. With sadaqah, you can give it to somebody based on ghalabatul dhan. Yani based on, I think this person looks like they're poor. Bismillah. But zakah, no, you cannot give it to somebody because they just, you know, appear to be poor. You have to, you have to know the reality of the situation. Because zakah is, is an obligation in Islam. It's not a voluntary deed. The voluntary deed, no problem. Someone comes and says, oh, I'm poor. I just need a little bit of help. I'll take it, no problem. And you do not have to be so precise. 
with with the zakah you have to be precise about the situation you cannot play with it because it's an obligation if you don't give it to the right person then the danger is that you have not fulfilled your obligation in the sight of Allah Azza you've not fulfilled what Allah commanded you to do in this pillar of Islam so the matter is quite uh, important and serious so that's my introduction out of the way that's just half an hour about what the zakah is so everyone has an idea that none of that is from the madhab so none of that relates to the book it's just a discussion about what zakah is and the benefits of zakah now we come to the book itself and the author said zakah is obligatory in five things zakah is obligatory in five things now again we're going to come to some things here where there are some there may be when when they say five things there may be many subcategories within that or many things which are added on you can say like plugins or add-ons you know like for example they talk about naqt naqt is gold and silver but what do we add on to gold and silver currency we add money within the category of gold and silver so you can see that there will be things added on but there are five broad categories of wealth these are the categories of wealth upon which zakah is obligatory the first is bahimatul an'am cattle and they are of three types so cattle it's going to get so you guys going to have to any stay with me yeah cattle three types camels cows and sheep stroke goats any sheep and similar any they have a uh, they call them in arabic al-ghanam and al-ghanam includes sheep and goats and you know all those things that look like sheep okay so there's probably a name for that there's probably a, a, a farming term for what that is but you basically you have camels and you have cows and along with the cows those that are similar to them from 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 the cow family that are kept as cattle and likewise sheep and goats yani al ghanam that's the first category the second category is an naqd and an naqd is gold and silver and currency you could broadly call it currency because gold and silver in itself is a kind of is a kind of currency yani yani naqd you can call it if you want to call it currency that's i mean you can call it currency yani but it includes gold and silver and yani what we would call paper money yani dirhams or dollars or pounds or whatever the third category is ard tijara or urud at-tijara and that is business goods or goods prepared for sale 
Ard, it means presenting something. In the word Ard, it means to, with an Ayn, and a Ra, and a Dad. It means to present something. And Tijara is business. So, you can call it trade goods. That's probably a good definition, a good word for it. Trade goods. And the interesting thing about, about this is, trade goods could cover anything. Even if you have a camel, and the purpose of you having this camel is that you want to sell it wherever you sell camels. Then it becomes a trade, an item, which is a trade item, not a camel. It is not considered among the camels that you have. It's not considered among the first category. So I have like 10 camels that I want to sell in the camel market. The fact that I want to sell them makes them trade goods, not camels. They're not considered to be camels for the purpose of zakah. They're considered to be trade goods. And you know you can trade in anything, right? I could trade in pens, I could trade in paper, I could trade in any food stuff, you know? I could trade in uh, material, I could trade in any, you can imagine all the, the millions and millions of things you could trade in. Trade goods are those goods which you have prepared for sale. That even includes things like houses. So your house in general, there is no zakat on your house, right? That you live in. But you've bought this house for the intention of selling it. And the reason you bought this house is to let the value go up and then to sell it when the value is higher. This becomes under the category of trade goods. Because you have bought it with the intention of letting the value go high and selling it later on. Even if you are renting it out right now, your intention is that you are going to sell it later on. You want the value to go high. And it's not a vague intention like, well, if the value goes, I might sell it, I might not. And you are clear that I am going to sell this house as soon as the value reaches X, Y, Z. Then this is, comes under the item of trade goods. This is the, what did we say, third category? Third category. And then, kharijin min al-ard. Those things which come out of the earth. Those things which come out of the earth. And there are a number of subcategories in this, which we will come to in, in, if we get that far in the book. Uh, but it includes uh, things which grow from the earth. And also things which are found in the earth, like which are dug out of the earth. So for example, you dig, you know, precious metals and minerals and rocks and things out of the earth. That thing which, anything which is taken out from the ground and out of the earth. And a thimar. Thimar are uh, fruits. And again, under those, there are many other categories and things which are added onto them. But that's a broad idea of the five major categories that zakat is due upon. Cattle and currency, gold, silver, and business goods or trade goods, and that which is extracted from the earth or taken out of the earth, and, and fruits. This is, this, or, or this is the, uh, any of these are the five general categories Okay. 
with conditions. The conditions are, and let me see if I, first of all, did we? The conditions are, and they mentioned six conditions. The first one is Islam. Okay. I said in general with zakah, we don't look at the owner, we look at the wealth. Yani with zakah, we don't look at the owner. So is the owner, you know, uh, is the owner, for example, sane or insane? Is the owner uh, a child or an adult? In the salah, what did we say? We said that the person has to be baligun aqil. They have to have, re you know, they reach puberty or at least mumayy is to be accepted. Yani they reach the age of discernment and they have to have their intellect and all of this stuff. We talked about this. As for the zakah, we don't generally look at the owner, we look at the wealth. So even if the person is insane, their, their guardian has to pay the zakah on their behalf. Even if it is a very small child, their guardian has to pay the zakah on their behalf. However, what we do look at is Islam. Now here we have to be a little bit careful. Because again, some people may mix up the issue of the, the disbelievers being required to follow Islam versus the zakah only coming from a Muslim. So when we say zakah is not obligatory for the kafir, we do not mean that the kafir is not required to follow the laws of the sharia. What we mean is, as an example, because the kafir will be blamed for not giving the zakah. The kafir will be blamed Yawm al-Qiyamah for not giving the zakah. But they cannot give the zakah until they become Muslim. And that means that, for example, the dhimmi, the one who is living in a Muslim country, but is not a Muslim, and is living with a, a, an oath of protection in a Muslim country, this person is not a Muslim, we do not take the zakah from them. We do not take, when you're going to collect the zakah, if the owner of the zakah is a non-Muslim, we don't take zakah from them. They are required to pay the zakah, because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, وَأَقِيمُ الصَّلَاةَ وَآتُوا الزَّكَاةَ but the zakah cannot be accepted from them unless they bring its most fundamental condition, which is Islam. The second is hurriyah. The person should be a free man or a free woman, yani not a slave. We don't take zakah from a slave because the principle of slavery is that the slave and what they own belongs to their owner. The slave and what they possess belongs to their owner. And therefore, we do not take zakah from a slave. The third, milk and nisab. Okay, so this is, a, this is the most or one of the most important principles of uh, the zakah is milk and nisab and that means that you the wealth has reached the minimum amount 
at which the zakah is due. So this is a very important piece of terminology. It's called the nisab with a noon and a sad, an alif and a ba. Nisab. And that is the minimum amount at which zakah is due. And that's different for each of the different categories. But there is a minimum amount. When your wealth reaches that minimum amount, you have to pay the zakah. This is, the, the, this is one of the two, what they call the two pillars of the zakah. Any one of the two pillars of the zakah, the two things that the zakah rests upon. One is an-nisab, the minimum amount. And the second one is al-hawl, with a ha and a waw and a lam, al-hawl. And al-hawl means that a year, an Islamic year has passed. We're going to come to that. So the third condition he had is that you should have reached the minimum amount. What we sometimes would call in, in English terms the tax threshold. You need the point at which you owe tax. When do you owe the zakah? There is a minimum amount. There is a threshold at which you owe the zakah. If I have, let's say, I have a beehive and I collect honey and I collect like four jars of honey there is no zakah on this even though honey is one of the things that zakah is due upon but there is no zakah on this I have a beehive and I take from the beehive four jars of honey there is no zakah on this because it is, has not reached the threshold at which zakah is due I have a date palm tree in my garden and I take, you know, three, four big carrier bags of dates out of it. There's no zakah on this because it has not reached the minimum threshold at which zakah is due. I own or I have in savings, let's say, 500 dirhams and I kept it for a whole year. There is no zakah due because it is below the minimum threshold at which zakah is due. So that is the third condition. The fourth condition, istiqraruhu. And this is a little bit difficult one. This is a little bit difficult one. Istiqrar means that the wealth should be should be clearly yours or undoubtedly yours. Perhaps that's the best way to say it. That the wealth should be undoubtedly yours. So how would the wealth not be undoubtedly yours? For example, you rent out an apartment and a person gives you an amount of rent for a year or something like that up front however you don't know for certain that that wealth belongs to you it's there sitting there but as of yet you have not cashed the check or you have not uh, you might have to return some of it back to them if, the, if there is a fire and they have to leave and the place is ruined then you would have to return back to them the rent that they haven't paid 
So at the end of the day, this rent is not clearly yours until all those checks are cashed and the period of rental has ended. Because that is when you know that it is yours. Or if you take quarterly checks, each quarter, each quarter that, that you cash the check and they've stayed there for three months and you've cashed it, now that three months is, when, that, when they've lived there for that three months, then that wealth is really yours because they have used up the product that you are renting and you have taken the money. But there are circumstances where, as we said, the wealth isn't really yours. It's in your hands, but you may yet have to return it. Another example of that is a shop that offers a 30-day money-back guarantee. Okay? When is the wealth theirs, undoubtedly theirs, after the 30 days have passed? Before the 30 days, the wealth is not undoubtedly theirs. Yes, they have it in their bank, but the customer may come back and say, I want a refund. And we gave them a 30-day money-back guarantee. So the wealth is not ours until the 30 days expires. So if the zakah came in the middle of that for some reason, then we cannot pay the zakah on this money which is not undoubtedly ours. The money must be undoubtedly in your possession. Meaning there's no chance that you have to give it back for any reason. This is sometimes called tamam al-milk, yani complete ownership. Some of the other books of the madhab, they call it total ownership or total possession. And again, you know, you have other situations where you have partnerships and half belongs to you and half belongs. So the part that you pay zakah is what is undoubtedly in your possession and undoubtedly belongs to you. The fifth condition, and this is in the madhab, so and there's a lot of disagreement on this issue, um, but in the madhab, that you do not have a debt that would reduce the money below the threshold below the nisab so the example of this is a person who has uh, enough money to be in the nisab let's say for example they have 20,000 dirhams in the bank okay they had that 20,000 dirhams for one Islamic year okay we come to them and we say I'm the zakah collector I've come to collect your zakah you have 20,000 dirhams in the bank since one year give me two and a half percent he says, I have a debt to Ahmed of 20 or 19,000 dirhams. You say, prove it. Okay, you have a debt to Ahmed, 19,000 dirhams. Okay, no zakah. Because his debt and that money in the madhab cancel each other out. And notice I say in the madhab because in yani, there is a... a, a there are a lot of, yani, this is a difficult issue and there is a much more nuanced opinion than this which I think is more correct. But in any case, from the book itself, if you have, yani, according to the Hanbali Madhab, you have a debt and that debt lowers your wealth below the nisab, yani, below the threshold, even though it looks to be over but your debt makes it lower, then you don't have to pay zakah. And the sixth condition is the one that we mentioned earlier and it is the second pillar of the zakah which is al-hawl mudi al-hawl that the, there should be a full Islamic year which has passed except in three 
conditions. So there are three situations in which you do not have to wait a year to pay, or you cannot wait a year to pay the zakah. Any three times when you would pay the zakah more quickly than one year. Number one is mu'ashar or mu'ashir. Okay, this we're going to come to. It is those things which 10% of zakah is due upon. Any those things which the zakah is due at 10%, which we're going to come to what they are later. And the offspring of cattle. So there's a principle that the offspring of cattle, and likewise, you can, this uh, applies also in Ribh Tijara, which is the third one, business profit, is that we look at the origin of the wealth, not at the, the extra profit which comes from it. Okay? So let me give an example of this. Two examples the author gives. One is the offspring of cattle, and the second one is profit from business. Okay? So the offspring of cattle, the example of this is that you have some camels which you have kept for, you have five camels or whatever which you have kept for a year. Zakat is due on the camels. Okay? One of the camels has a baby. That baby is included in your wealth for zakah for that year. You do not wait another year for that baby to reach a year of, for that offspring of the cattle to reach a year. Because why? Because it came from, it came directly from the wealth that you already had. It wasn't like you went out and bought another camel. If you went out and bought another camel, no. If you went out and bought another camel, you don't pay zakah on that camel until the year has passed. You went out and bought another camel. But here, you didn't go out and buy another camel. The camel that you already had, that zakah is due upon, gave birth to another camel. So this is, we look at the asr, we look at the origin of the wealth. The example of this also is given in the same issue, is when you receive profit from something which is not a separate transaction. Like it's part of the same, uh, it's part of the same wealth that you're going to pay zakat on. And that could be, for example, you had some savings, and your savings are in an account. Okay. When the year reaches up, you're going to pay zakat on those savings, right? Okay. The bank gives you, and we'll not talk about whether this is halal or not, but the bank gives you a profit. What is that profit based upon? It's based upon the savings that you already had. It's not new money, it's not a new transaction, it didn't come from a new place, it didn't come from China. It came from the money that you already had to pay zakat upon. Then this, again, we look at the asal, we don't look at the far. Yani we look at the origin of the wealth. So you had this 20,000 dirhams in the bank. The bank gave you 200 dirhams. You pay zakah upon 20,000 and the 200 as well. 
because that 200 came from the 20,000. It didn't come from somewhere else. As for the money that came from somewhere else, no, this is a new year starts and you have to wait for a whole year to pass. So for example, I just sold, I don't know, a car, I got some money, okay, my year starts. At the end of the year, I sell, I don't know, my house. Those two are not related because the money is not from the same source. But I sold my house and then I had a condition in the contract that if X, Y, Z happens, you're going to give me extra. And the person came and gave me extra in the middle of the year. The extra they give me in the middle of the year is part of that original transaction. It's part of that original, uh, that original transaction. And therefore, you pay zakah on it with the original amount, not as a new amount. Warihu tijara and business profits also uh, uh, business profit they're going to talk about inshallah ta'ala later on is also from those things that does not require a year to go by okay now the author is going to talk about an issue which is converting one type of wealth to another does it reset the timer for zakah or not so remember, with zakah, we've got two pillars. This is what we're talking about, always two pillars of the zakah. The nisab, the threshold, and the hawl, the passage of a year, the timer. Okay? Threshold, timer. Okay? So now the situation is, I have a hundred cows. And I sell them and buy a hundred sheep. Does the timer reset or not? In the madhab, as long as I am not avoiding the zakah, it resets. Okay? So he said, if there is a decrease in the amount before the passage of a year, because of selling or something else, unless the person is running away from the zakah, the counter resets. Unless the person is running away from the zakah, and if somebody is deliberately spending their money, so this is an example of, of you know, you have 100,000 dirhams in the bank. And the time for zakah is getting nearer and nearer. You're thinking, I don't want to pay 2.5%. I know what I'll do. I'll go and buy camels I don't know probably 400,000 dirhams you probably won't get very many camels yeah. but I'll, I'll buy I'll buy two camels I have no idea what camels cost I'll buy two camels okay so he goes and buys two camels what is his reason for buying two camels he wants to avoid paying zakah here zakah is due upon him no matter what because the only reason that he bought those camels why have you got those camels he said, I don't want to pay zakah so I'm, I'm, I'm changing. I like the one who is just on his phone and he's like, Ooh, I just changed it to gold. Oh, it's back in currency. Okay, my zakah is reset. No, this person, zakah is obligatory upon them. There's no tax avoidance when it comes to zakah. And it might be tax avoidance in other things, but when it comes to zakah, there is no tax avoidance. You cannot deliberately avoid the zakah. So you have your phone there and you just bought gold and then you sold the gold the next day just so that you can avoid the zakah. 
The other thing that we need to be aware of is that the, in, the category must change. Okay? Meaning that you must have a significant change in the category. Goats to sheep does not count. You know, if I, I had sheep and I sold them for goats, and then I brought them back to sheep again, it does not count. They, goats and sheep are in the same ruling, the same amount of zakah is taken from them. Likewise, you could say gold, silver, and money. Again, there's a disagreement on that, that issue which we can cover later. The issue of whether gold and silver and money are separate categories or they're the same category. And is money gold or is money silver? Because this ruling comes into it about when you, for example, if I have money and I buy gold, does that reset the timer or not? Or does it depend on whether money is considered to be gold or money is considered to be silver? But in general, we understood in the madhab that if you exchange one type of goods or one type of wealth for another and the wealth is different such that, that the, the ruling of the zakah is different, then your timer resets. Such as when a person switches from money to camels or from camels to cows or from honey to gold or whatever. The timer resets as long as they are not trying to avoid zakah. And this is the second point he said, وَإِنْ أَبْدَلَهُ بِجِنْسِهِ فَلَا As for if he exchanges it from something in the same category, then no. So as for if a person exchanges, let's say, sheep for goats, then it does not reset the timer because the two are, from the point of view of zakah, exactly the same. This is a different issue. This issue is we're going to come to inshallah and is the issue of whether money is considered to be separate from gold or not. Uh, that is a different, a different issue. He then goes on to talk about what happens when you get your debt back. You gave a debt. Now he talked about being in debt. But now what happens if you are the creditor? Debtor, no, the yeah, you're the you're the creditor, right? The, yeah, you're the creditor. If you are the creditor, you are the one who gave the money out. Do you pay zakah or not? Again, in the madhab, and again, like underline that three times, Yani. In the madhab, when you get the money back, you pay zakah on everything that passed. And when you get the money back, you don't pay zakah when you don't have the money, uh, when someone else has the money. So someone else has your money. Or likewise, when your money is stolen. You don't pay zakah on stolen wealth, but when you get the wealth back, and the police find the person who stole it, and they claim the wealth back, and they give the wealth back to you, then when the wealth reaches you again, you pay zakah on everything that has passed. So if it's been three years, you pay three years of zakah. So somebody stole 100,000 dirhams from you. La qadar Allahu dhalik. And you didn't have access to that 100,000 dirhams. Two years went by. The police got it back for you. The court kept it for a while. Finally, it came back to you after two years. At this point, you pay zakah for two years. 
Likewise, the debt is exactly the same. And he, somebody said, I'll pay you back after five years. At five years later, they give you the money back. You pay the zakah for the years that have gone. He then goes on to talk about a condition for debt to be for. Try that again. A condition for zakah to be due upon cattle. And that is a sawm. Not a sawm, meaning fasting, because cows don't fast. But a sawm with a seam. And that is that the cattle should be grazed. In Kafi al-Mubtadi, he adds to that, it should be grazed the whole year or half of the year or more. Yani half or more of the year. Meaning that the cattle that you feed with grain, where it doesn't eat from the grass or from the shrubs or whatever, yani you bring the cattle and you give the cattle grain, you feed the cattle, you purchase grain or food and you feed the cattle. Then there is no zakah due upon this cattle. There is no zakah due upon this cattle. Okay, so we said by cattle, camels, cows, and sheep stroke goats, yeah? So chickens are not included. There's no zakah upon the person who has a chicken farm. The zakah is upon the profit of the, the chickens that he, he yani, sells or whatever. But the, there is no zakah due like that. It's not like they come and take five chickens away, yani, like they do with camels. Yani. So the issue is different. And likewise, if you have camels, but those camels are fed by you. They don't go out and eat from the grass for half the year or more. So if, it's, if they're fed half of the year or more than, or if they feed from the grass, if they graze half of the year or more than half of the year, then the zakah is due upon them. If you feed them for half the year or more, there is no zakah due upon them. Okay. Now we're going to get to the fun bit, guys. This is the bit I've been waiting for. This is the bit that if you ever get asked, what is the zakat on the camels? Okay? So, aqallu nisabi ibl. The zakat or the threshold of the zakat for the camels. Okay? Today we're going to learn about camels. Okay. The smallest amount of camels upon which zakat is due is five camels. Meaning if you have four camels, no zakah. Unless what? Unless you're preparing them for sale, for trade. If you trade in camels, no. Even if you have one camel, the zakah is due upon it. Okay, but this is not trade. We're talking about the guy has camels. Then... Oh, and before that, I wonder if in Kafi al-Mubtadi, I missed one condition. Uh, let me see. No, not yet. It's coming, inshallah. Okay. So, the threshold for the camels is five. You have four camels, it doesn't come in the, under the threshold. Bear in mind the camels have to be sa'ima, meaning that they graze by themselves for at least six months of the Islamic year. 
if you have five camels, how many camels do you have to give? No camels, you have to give one sheep. Okay, five camels, one sheep. Islam is easy, subhanAllah. If one camel, that's, a, that's like 20% of your, of your wealth and it has to go. No, it's not like that. In five camels, one sheep. And in 10 camels, two sheep. And in 15 camels, three sheep. And in 20 camels, four sheep. So that bit's easy. That bit's easy. Up to there, it's nice and simple. For every five camels, you give a sheep. So you've had these camels, you've had them for an Islamic year, and at the end of the Islamic year that you've had them, for every five camels up to 20, meaning up to uh, 24 in reality, you're going to give as many as four, four sheep. Okay? What about when you get to 25 camels? When you get to 25 camels, you need to give bintu makhad. Now, the first thing we have to notice about camels is camels can be male or female. But in zakah, the camels you give as a payment are always female unless you do not have any female camels at all. Okay, and that is because the female camel is significantly different in value from the male camel. Okay, so in the, in the camels, unless you don't have any female camels at all, like if you have all male camels, then the zakah for camels is always paid in females. Okay, so 25 camels is the first time you have to give a camel. Okay, once you, once you have 25, you have to give bintu makhad. And that is a camel which has reached one year old. A female camel which has reached one year old. A one year old camel. Bintu makhad. Makhad means, literally bintu makhad means the daughter of a pregnant camel. Why do they call it the daughter of a pregnant camel? Because usually by one year, the mother will be, will be uh, expecting again. Yani the mother will be expecting another, another uh, whatever you call a baby camel, fall or whatever you call it. Yani another baby camel, generally. Yani the way camels work is generally that if that camel has reached one year old you, and the mother is healthy, generally the mother would normally be expecting another camel. Now the scholars say that's not a condition. So if, for example, the mother is sick or she's not able to, uh, to give birth to another camel, you still have to pay. It's still bint makhatin. It's, it's, still, it's still the same thing. But generally that would be the case among the camels. Is that bintu makhat, the daughter of a pregnant camel, meaning a camel that is one year old or above. Okay, from 25, we go up to 36. So 25, 
26, 27, 28, 29. It's just you give bintu makhad. You give one camel, which is a year old. When you reach 36 camels, you need to give bintu labun, which is a camel, a she camel, which has reached two years old. Labun from the word laban, meaning its mother is now milking the other camel. Because its mother was due to give birth, then its mother gave birth, and so in this year you would expect normally that, it, that the mother is currently giving milk to its baby sister. So it's called, the Arabs call it bintu labun. Basically means a two-year-old camel. So 36 camels, you've reached 36, you need to give a two-year-old camel. The next number is 46. Forty-six camels, you need to give a hiqqa. A hiqqa is a camel that has reached three years old. A female camel, they're all female, that has reached three years old. Why is it called a hiqqa? Some of the scholars of language say it's called a hiqqa because it is deserving. Yani from haqq, it's deserving, or from istihqaq. Deserving either of a male camel uh, yani to, to go to it, to, uh, to mate with it, or deserving of being ridden by a person. And from three years old, you can ride a camel, and from three years old, you can mate the camel. with, yani You can bring a male camel to mate with it. So that is why it's called hiqqa, deserving. Yani. So it's a three-year-old camel. Okay, now we go to 61. So we went from 46, after 46 you owe a a three-year-old camel. Now we go to 61. And at 61, you owe a jad'ah. And a jad'ah is a camel of four years old. A she-camel of four years old. And it's called a jad'ah, something to do with its teeth, its teeth coming out or falling out, something like that. So you owe a four-year-old camel. Okay. Seventy-six. Now, so what, what did we have? We had 25, then 36, 46, 61, and then back to the sixes again. Seventy-six. You owe bintalabun, two bintalabun camels, two Bint Labun is a two-year-old camel. Two two-year-old camels. Wafi ihda wa tis'een. Now you go to 91. So we had... Which one did we have that was with one? We had 61. Now we go to 91. Hiqqatan. Two three-year-old camels. Hiqqatan, two three-year-old camels.
وفي مئة وإحدى وعشرين ثلاث بنات لبون three بنت لبون three two-year-old camels three two-year-old camels three بنت لبون then after that everything after that in every 40 you owe a bint laboon or in every 50 you owe a hiqqa so in every 40 you owe a two-year-old camel and in every 50 you owe a three-year-old camel so what if somebody has after 121 they have another 90 camels so for the 121 they're going to give three bint laboon, three two-year-old camels. And after that, they have 90. So they have a 40 and they have a 50. For the 40, they're going to give another bint laboon. And for the 50, they're going to give a hiqqa, which is a three-year-old camel. Can you imagine this new Muslim answering this question? And he became, he became Muslim like two weeks before. A month before, you imagine him answering this question. Yani. That is the end of camels, alhamdulillah. <laughs> for the zakat, we ended the camels. But it shows, subhanallah, for the Arabs, this was not difficult. Because when you live with camels, it's like, yeah, yeah, it's Adi, of course I know it. 121 camels. It's like you speak to a businessman who deals in, you know, let's say, for example, grain. And they know the details of it. They know how much and they know how many sacks of grain and how much each one weighs and what the profit would be on each one and how long each one will last. Because it's their, it's their speciality. It's their, it's their business. The camel trader is like, why you guys find this difficult? It's not difficult. Simple. I only have to remember six, seven numbers. It's, like, it's normal. Like for them, bint laboon, bint makhad, how many camels, how many sheep. And it's very, very easy for them. The next issue we have to deal with, and it's mentioned in Kafi al-Mubtadi, it's not in Aqsar al-Muqtasarat, is the issue of al-Khalt, which is when, and I, I don't think he's going to mention it. If he mentions it, I'll leave it. Yeah, he's going to mention it. It's okay. He's gonna, he just moved it later on. Okay. So quickly, he now comes on to cows. Cows are easier than camels. I don't know whether cows are just easier than camels because I, we just are more familiar with cows. Yani. But cows are easier than camels. The least number of cows is 30. And you need to give either a tabi' or a tabi'a. Okay, a tabi' from taba'a meaning to follow. So it is a cow which is a year old and it's called a tabi' because it follows its mother around. Apparently cows after one year old don't follow their mother around. So they're not called a tabi'. And notice here he said tabi' or tabi'a, male or female. In the camels it has to be female unless you have no females at all. Unless you have no females at all, it has to be a female camel that you give in the zakah. Because the female camel is significantly different in value to the male camel. But as for the cow, then here uh, it can be a male cow or it can be a female cow. And it's one year old.
if you have 40 cows, then you have to give a musinna, which is a cow which is two years old. And if you have 60 cows, you need to give tabi'an, two tabi'a, meaning two uh, one-year-old cows. If you have 60 cows, you need to give two cows which are one-year-old. Then, after that, for every 30, you give a tabi'a, and for every 40, you give a musinna. For every 30, you give a one-year-old cow, and every 40, you give a two-year-old cow. I'm so going to do this in the exam, inshallah. So be prepared for this. I'm going to give you a farmer's thing with this guy has 65 camels, 40 cows, and 20 sheep. He kept them for a year. How much zakah does he have to give? Wallah, it's, you know, even though we say this is not from the knowledge that is obligatory for every Muslim. It's obligatory upon the person who has camels and cows and sheep. It's, wallah, it's, it's nice to study something that we're not aware of. You know, sometimes you, that's why I wanted to do this with you. You know, we do like the things that we know from the back of our hand, like the salah and the wudu and, you know, face the qibla and you have to stand up. These are things that we are, you know, generally familiar with. But this is something that almost none of us, unless, I mean, maybe some of you have cows and sheep, you know, well, seriously, maybe some of you own like cows and sheep, especially you have farm, farmlands in other countries or whatever. And this is normal for you. But for me, like I've never owned any cows or sheep. I don't actually know, like it's not familiar. I mean, it's a strange thing. It's something that we're not used to. So it's nice to understand the comprehensive nature of Islam and the fact that Islam works for everybody. Like I said, the farmer probably thinks that the, you know, this sharing of gold and silver is like, you know, something a bit strange for them. But for them, sharing cows and camels and sheep is completely normal. So Islam is comprehensive for everybody. So we covered the issue of the cows. So now we come on to the ghanam, and the ghanam are the, uh, the sheep and the goats. The smallest threshold is 40, 4-0, and you have to give one sheep, one shah, one sheep. Now, we should define what is meant by a shah. I didn't do that yet. Uh, you know when we said a sheep, when we said that if you have five camels, you give one sheep, and if you have 10 camels, you give two sheep, and if you have 15 camels, you give three sheep. It has to be a sheep that is suitable for slaughter. It has to be a sheep which is suitable for slaughter, which apparently, and I'm going to just, I have no idea about this, but this is what I read in the books of fiqh, is that if it's a sheep, that means six months, and if it's a goat, a year. If it's a sheep, six months, and a goat, a year. That is when it is suitable for slaughter. And you can't give a baby lamb that was just born and it's like two months old. It's not suitable. And you have to give a one that is suitable for slaughter. Okay, so we said the smallest amount is 40. And again, if you have 121, if you have 121, two sheep. So it's not 40, 40, 40, 40 like that. 40 is the first limit. 
the next one is 121. In which case you give two sheep. And if you have 201, you give three sheep up to 400. So from 201 all the way up to 400, you give three sheep. Then for every hundred, after that, you give a sheep. So if someone has 501, for the first 400, they give three sheep. And for the last 100, on top of that, they give a sheep. Then the final one that he's going to talk about here is Al-Khulta or Al-Khalta, which is the issue of different partners mixing or different people mixing their cattle together. So in this issue, we talk about what happens if you have, and this is very common, I mean, I've seen this myself, that you have one shepherd who is looking after the sheep of three different people. He says here, with regard to cattle, if the conditions are fulfilled, the two types of wealth become one, meaning that we consider the wealth to be one. That is, on the condition, there are various conditions, on the condition that they graze in the same place and they are fed, you know, they're fed in the same place and they kind of, it's as though they belong to one person. Then even though they belong to three different people or four different people or two different people, it's considered to be one body of animals for the purpose of zakah. So here Muhammad and Ahmed, Muhammad has the black sheep and Ahmed has the white sheep. But the two are in the same pen, the same sheep pen, and they generally are, 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 are yani, grazing in the same place, or you know, the, the, maybe you can say that the, the, uh, the male sheep that is mating with them is the same or whatever. And there is a, you know, there is a, the sheep are as if it is one thing, even if they are distinguished, even if one is goats and one is sheep, one is black sheep and one are white sheep. Even then, it's considered to be one block. And so the person who comes to collect the zakah judges the animals as one block, not as, uh, not as individual wealth. And then the partners have to divide the cost. And this could be a benefit for them, or it could, I mean, it could be a worldly benefit for them or a worldly harm. We're not going to say a benefit or a harm, because it's not befitting to say it could be a harm for them. But it could be a worldly benefit or a worldly harm. Because there are situations in which, for example, with the sheep, what did we say? We said 40 sheep. Okay? So here, Muhammad has 40 and Ahmed has 40 sheep. If they're separate wealth, what do we take? Take a sheep from Ahmed. We take a sheep from Muhammad. 
Okay, if they're the same wealth, what do we take? One sheep only. And then Ahmed has to give Muhammad, if it's his sheep, he has to give him half the price. And if it's his sheep, he has to give him half the price. So that is a worldly benefit for them. They put their sheep together. And because their sheep are together, they only have to give one sheep instead of two. Or it could be a worldly harm for them. In a situation where it just pushes them over the, over the threshold. In which case, again, the, we take more. And in that case, the, the partners sort it out among themselves according to what each one earns. We try and do the next chapter And then we finish inshallah and do the revision I do as much of it as I can I know it's, I know it's a hard chapter And I know there's a lot to, of figures And a lot of things to memorize and things like that So I'm not going to like burden you too much But we'll try and do the next chapter Because it's again something that many people have no idea about And I'm talking about myself yani First of all I mean, we only, I only knew about this when we studied it yani when we studied. Other than that like, It was something I was not like deeply aware about because again it's not something that I am personally involved in and this is now to going on to talk about that which is taken out of the earth and the fruits so what is taken out of the earth and the fruits and what is taken out of the earth and the fruits there are two conditions there are two conditions for it to be considered zakah due upon it the first it should be makil it should be measured by volume okay now that doesn't mean they don't measure it, measure it by weight today because today maybe because of the presence of you know electronic scales and weighing things we we might measure everything by weight but something that was traditionally measured by volume so we know the do you guys remember the volumes in Islam? We have the mud and the sar, and we have the uh, the awsuq, yani wisq, or al wasq, al wasq and al wisq. So these are three that you should be familiar with: the mud and the sar and the wisq and the ritl as well. The ritl, but the ritl less so. The ritl is more in the books of the, the madhab. Yani. But in any case, you should be aware of the mud and the sar, definitely. And then on top of that, the whisk and the ritl. Ra, ta, lam. Ritl. Okay. So what is a mud? A mud is the volume that a person can pick up with yani in their two hands. But it has, a, it has been measured in a, in a modern volume and the scholars differ over how much a mud is between 500 and 750 milliliters. 
for the mud. Any the least that is said is 500 milliliters, and the most that is said is 750 milliliters. And I personally think 750 is the closer one to the sunnah, and Allah knows best. Asar is four mud. So how much is a sa' in liters? Between two liters and three liters. Any between two liters and three liters. The smallest amount that they say is a sa' is two liters, and the largest amount they say is a sa' is three liters. The others we will come to it. A whisk is 60 sar. The whisk is 60 sar. So if the sar is 2 liters, that's 120 liters. And if the sar is 3 liters, then that's 180 liters. Because we're measuring in volume, remember? And the ritual they're going to come to and mention it in the book. Okay. So... It has to be measured in volume, tradition, measured in volume. And it has to be muddakhar, it has to be suitable for storage. Okay, so what is not included are the fruits and vegetables that go bad quickly. You know, you have your fruits and vegetables generally, they go bad quickly. They, they are not suitable for storage. You cannot store them for a prolonged period of time. They go bad quickly. But grains, rice, uh, you know, uh, sugar, you know, um, raisins, uh, even seeds like cardamom seeds and, uh, and even things like cotton and, you know, these, these, all these things that are, that are harvested or taken from the earth or are grown on the trees and they are storable. And you can store them for a, for a, period, for a significant period of time. They don't, they don't rot. They don't go off quickly. So the two conditions are it should be measured by volume and it should be storable. What is the minimum amount of the nisab? It is five awsuk, five whisk. And the whisk is 60 sa'r. So how many sa'r? 300. 300 sa'r. Which is how many mud? 1,200, right? Any 1,200 mud. Or uh, 300 sa'r. Or five whisk. They're all the same. And then they, they, in the book of the Madhab, they explain what that is in Ritul. In Ritul. And he says it is 342 uh, Ritul and six sevenths. 342 and six sevenths. 
Okay, that for us, it doesn't concern us, but that is the reason this is in the book, is that the ritl is what they measured in at that time. I actually don't, I actually wanted to look that up and find out what it is, but, and it, like, for example, there are times when people measured, and now we measure in liters, maybe people measured in fluid, fluid ounces, or measured in different measurements, and in the measurement that they used at the time of the author, that what he mentioned that that is 300, and 42 and 6 sevenths of a ritual. But I'm not, I'm not going to ask you that in the exam because it's not, it's not important for us because it's not in, mentioned in the hadith nor is it in use uh, today. What is in use today is liters. Or in some places, fluid ounces or whatever. When is the time or when, what is the condition of this, uh, what is taken from the earth and the fruits? The condition is that you should have complete ownership at the time that it becomes obligatory to pay the zakah. So why might you not have complete ownership? You might not have complete ownership if, for example, there is a payment due like the, 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 the land belongs to someone and he has a deal with you that 50% of the produce is to be, it belongs to me and 50% belongs to you. Or you have a deal that he says, he's, you know, 20% of the produce belongs to me. So it has to be, what is taken has to be, uh, has to belong to the person completely. When is the time that it's due? If it is a grain or a seed, if it's a grain or a seed, then uh, what it says here is ishtidadu hab. When the seed becomes uh, any suitable for, when it becomes strong or when it becomes suitable for, for, for harvesting. And likewise with the fruits, when the fruits are, when it is clear that they are uh, ripe. When it's clear that they are ripe. What does that mean? You may harvest a fruit before it is, before you know that it is suitable for use. Okay, you may harvest a fruit before you know that it's suitable to use. And that fruit may die, it may not die. It may get attacked by uh, insects, it may not. In this case, you do not owe zakah upon it until it is suitable for, we would say ripe, but I don't want to use ripe in the case that there are some fruits that may be suitable to use, use even when they're not ripe. Even when they are not ripe. But generally, it's clear that it is usable it's clear that the fruit will be usable and that it's not going to, uh, you know, it's not at a stage where the fruit might be okay, it might not be okay. It has to be clear that the fruit is usable. And the second condition, that, or the second point that he mentions is, it's not considered 
to be in your possession until you have gathered it together in a place of storage or a place of you know treatment so you've gathered it together in a place of storage or a place of treatment and the last point that is mentioned is that the measurement is done after the seed has been removed from its husk or from its you know like if the seed is inside of like a cover or something like that after it has been removed from its husk that is when you do the measurement not before so some seeds come in like in husks or come in you know shells or whatever uh, and it's not sold like that and it's removed from the shell or from the husk or from the leaf or whatever you don't measure it based on the leaves or whatever you measure it after it has been prepared after it has been removed from its shell or from its uh, husk and likewise we said it cannot be said to be in your possession until you have harvested it and put it in a place of you know whether it's a place of treatment a place of storage a place of gathering you could say a warehouse different words people use it doesn't have to be a warehouse it could just be that the farm has a big area of land in the middle of the farm and they cut down all the you know dates and they put all the dates in a big pile in the middle of the farm until you've done that it can't be obligatory to give the zakat upon it okay what is obligatory to give a tenth of that which is watered without uh, aid or without support so these fruits and these things which are taken these crops and fruits which are taken from the earth or taken from the trees some of them are self-irrigating I think that's the term they don't need you to water them either they get watered by rain or they get watered by a river nearby or the land is naturally you know boggy and uh, wet you don't have to do anything difficult to get the water to the fruits or to the to the crops for this you pay 10% and this is what is known as al muashir this is what is known as what we said earlier about al muashir the 10% category those are those fruits and crops which are irrigated they are watered without difficulty you don't have to personally go and take the watering can and you know like or you don't have to bring an animal or you don't have to build a pipe network or you don't have to you know have a big water pump that's got an electricity bill that is pumping water around all you have to do is just let the sky rain and the river flow or the the ground get wet and that's enough five percent in that which you have to irrigate yourself so if you had to do the irrigation yourself like you had to have an animal pull the water or you had to have a, a machine pump water or you had to dig irrigation channels and you know you had to like let the water flow through them or you you know it's not it's something you had to do yourself to water them then in this case it is five percent okay when might you pay seven and a half percent half and half 
So this can happen. It can be the case that you are half and half, meaning that for six months of the year, you suffice yourself with the natural rain, but then in the summer, you have to water it yourself. In the winter, you don't have to water it yourself. In the summer, you have to water it yourself. If it's like half and half, and it doesn't have to be exactly half. It could be 60-40, it could be, you know, 35-65. But generally, some of it is coming from the rain and some of it is coming from, the, uh, from your effort. In this case, you pay 7.5%. What about, in the madhab, if it's not exactly 50-50 and even, or, or 64, it's not even near. What about if it's like 80% from the sky and 20% from your own efforts? In this case, he said, Whichever is more is the one you pay. So if it's 80% your effort, then you pay 5% on the whole thing. If it is 80% the sky and it's 20% your effort, you pay 10%. On the whole thing It's only when it's nearly half Or within the region of half Maybe 50-55% like this Then it's only when it's in the region of half That you pay 7.5% Otherwise Whichever one is clearly more if, if one of the two are clearly more If it's clearly coming more from the natural rain And less from your efforts Then you pay 10% And if it's clearly mostly from your efforts And only a little bit from the natural rain Then you pay 5% What about if you don't know? If you don't know whether it's more from the rain or you didn't know or you weren't able to, maybe you were not even any, you were maybe not present at that time. It's an it's a area that you own and you know, you don't know was it this or was it that or you're not sure which is more, then you pay 10%. And there's a, this leads us to a very beneficial principle in the zakah and it's an important one. And it is that in zakah, when there is a difference of opinion, we look at what is most beneficial for the poor. And this is a very, very good principle. And I'm just gonna you know, sort of step outside of the madhab a second just to look at this principle. So the scholars say, is, is money gold or silver? Money could be gold, money can be silver. Some of the coins are gold, some of the coins are silver. The money is backed up by gold, but you can also convert it into silver. So the issue is, is money gold or silver? Sheikh Ibn when he answered this question, rahimahullah, he said, we go back to this principle, that in zakah, when we differ over something, we look at whichever is more beneficial to the poor. So if we said that it's gold, what's going to happen? Very few people will be able to pay the zakah, because now the zakah is, the minimum threshold for gold is like, you know, uh, let's say, I mean, it's 80, whatever, five grams or something like that of gold. That 85 grams of gold is going to cost you $2,000, $3,000. So very few people relatively will be able to give the zakah. If we consider it to be silver, then 595 grams of silver is what? 595 grams of silver is, I mean, maybe, I don't know, maybe 1,000 dirhams, 1,200 dirhams, 1,500 dirhams, something like that. It's a very small amount. And now many more people are able to give the zakah. So when there is a disagreement in matters of the zakah, we generally look at what is most beneficial for the poor. And that is why in the madhab they say, if you don't know whether it's mostly from the rain or mostly from your effort or you can't calculate it, give what is more beneficial to the poor people, which is 10%. As for honey, honey is 10%. Honey is 
honey is also one of the items which is taxed on the zakah at 10%. Regardless, it says here in the book of the Madhab, regardless of whether it is taken from a natural place or it's taken from a man-made hive or it's taken from someone else's property. So the honey doesn't matter where you take it from about the zakah being 10%. It's not like it's 10% if it's a natural hive and 5% if it's a man-made hive. It doesn't make any difference whether it's a natural hive or a man-made hive, whether it's on your property or someone else's property. But the, uh, the uh, amount Uh, of honey in this book he gives it in ritl iraqiyah iraqi ritl and he says it is a hundred and sixty and a hundred and sixty equates to In the ounce is 4.25 grams for the ounce and it is 14,400 uh, yeah 14,000 14,400 ounces which times by 4.25 gives you the value in grams I had it before in Sark which is easier had it before in sight let me see where it's gone the khan was wajib ashar muslimin yamuna nisfuha fil asr i'll find it inshallah it's gone away from me how much it is in a saw. And then the last point that he mentions, or the last two points that he mentions to finish off, is he says that whatever is extracted from a mine, like it's extracted, dug out of the ground or a quarry, then it is 2.5% which is paid at the time that it is extracted. 2.5% and it is paid at the time of extraction. As for ar-rikaz, ar-rikaz is something like buried uh, valuables. I say buried treasure, but yani, things that were buried in the time prior to Islam, then the zakah on them is one-fifth, yani 20%. It is the highest of all of the zakah. The highest of all of the zakah is what is called ar-rikaz, which is what was buried in Jahili, yani historical, you can say like valuables or whatever yani that were buried in the time of, uh, the time yani prior to Islam. This is called Ar-Rikaz and it has 20%, yani Al-Khumus, 20%. And it's the only thing in Zakah which has 20% of the 
Otherwise, the zakah is two and a half or five or ten in general. Two and a half or five or ten. Five, uh, ten is in those things which are naturally irrigated, irrigated by the natural water. Five is in those things that you irrigate yourself. And two and a half is in, uh, oh, and ten is in the, uh, the honey as well. And two and a half is in everything else. And this brings us to the end of that uh, chapter. He then goes on to the nisab of gold and silver, but this is where we, we stop. And again, I, I deliberately stopped there, or I deliberately tried to make the lesson stop there, because I think, again, in gold and silver, people are more familiar with it. I wanted to do some of the chapters that people are not familiar with, so that you get the, uh, you get the, um, the experience of studying something that you haven't been very familiar with uh, before. Okay, we have 10 minutes left, which we have to cover, or 15 minutes which we want to cover a sort of an, uh, an overview or a sort of some tips for the exam. So I'll give you some feedback on the last exam. Um, the last exam, actually, I was quite surprised, a little, bit, a little bit disappointed with some of the answers that I felt like some people don't, like, don't revise at all. You know, like generally I told you the last exam, even if you read the poem, even if you just read the poem in English, and the poem is available in English, on, it was on Kalima's website in English, it would have been enough to, um, to read. But you have people give like really like strange answers. Like to name, you know, the, the wife of the Prophet ﷺ that he didn't marry, and some people had Fatima, some people had any really, really strange answers, you know, like, and I think you just need to like focus on what's important. A lot of what I say in the class is, what's the word? I mean, I'm gonna say something, but it's, it's like extra explanation. But focus on the main, the main facts, the main issues. If you summarize it down and you break it down onto paper, the pages we've done out of Aksar al-Mukhtasarat are something like less than 10 pages. And the pages are A5 pages and they just got big bullet points on them. You know, probably we haven't even covered 60 or 70 lines, maybe, maybe 50 lines in total in this issue of, uh, of uh, purification and salah and zakah. We probably covered 50 lines. Focus on summarizing the main points. When you've summarized the main points, the most important stuff, then look for the additional benefits by listening to the audio and taking the additional benefits. But even the most fundamental bullet points would be fine. Being a multiple choice test, it's often going to be the case that you're going to be asked questions that are suitable for putting into multiple choice. So with the zakah, there's going to be questions on the numbers. There might be some practical examples like, you know, if you had a person with 40 sheep, would he give one sheep, two sheep, three sheep, you know, like that kind or put the number of type the number of sheep that he would give. And there's a little box to put a number one, you know, that kind of, of thing. Um, I thought with the last exam there were a lot of, and I've given the results out, they haven't probably come to you because it takes time to upload them onto the site, but the results from, for the first exam came. And it's not like it's not doable because there are some students who get full marks and there are some students who get nearly full marks. But a lot of the time, some of the questions like really surprise you. 
One thing I would advise you about very strongly is be careful about autocorrect. So many people lose marks because autocorrect completely ruins their answer on their phone. Just read your answer through. You know, there are some people, wallahi, yani, I, I'm shy to say what it says. in the. I can't say in the masjid, yani, some of the things that they wrote. But they didn't write it. They wrote, obviously, the correcting in Arabic. And the autocorrect on their mobile phone or their tablet completely changed the answer to something totally different. So I would strongly advise people to read through their work again. So once again, I'm going to say it like this. What I think you should do is you should focus on the main points, listen to the tape and just take the main bullet points from each thing. For example, zakah is due upon five types. It is due upon cattle and it is due upon currency and it is due upon what is taken out of the earth. And you, know, and you have like, you, you, you know, trade goods and what is taken out of the earth and fruits. You have those in your mind. Even if you don't know the subcategories, at least those are in your mind. Then try and remember, okay, what comes under each subcategory? What have we studied? Make, you know, don't overcomplicate it by trying to memorize everything that's said. A lot of it is just repeating and making sure you've understood. I try and get the main bullet points for each one. We covered purification. We covered, what, the first maybe page and a half. Let me go back to that and see if there's anything specific I wanted to talk to you about in that. Let's see if I go back to that stage. There are sometimes questions that I ask that are only based on the audio. Yani it's not based on the, on the actual text itself. But these are very, very few in number. So in general, if you look at it getting like a decent grade, like you can get a decent grade by just being aware of the text itself and, and the basic understanding of what the text means. Like it's not necessary for you to know all of the, for example, when we talked about the, uh, the water uh, which is stolen, we spent a time talking about the water which is given as a waqf, for a, a particular usage like it says this is this water is given in charity for drinking that is something which is not in the book that is something which is not in the book however it's also not going to be many marks in the exam if it even comes in the exam at all it's going to be a mark or maximum two marks so again i would seriously suggest that you focus primarily on the points in the book so to give you example in the water it says water is of three types Purifying, and that is the one that remains in its original state. And from it is that which is makruh and that which is haram, and that which is stolen. And then he gives the example. Then he says the second kind of water is pure, and it does not remove impurities, nor does it give you, uh, or nor is it usable in a state of uh, purification. And then he said it is one, two, three. And the third type is impure, and it is forbidden to use it in any case. This is the text. In the whole one hour or two hours, that is all we really did. But we did explanation around it. At least know the, the text itself and then work on getting some points, getting some extra information about it. Uh, and don't worry too much about those things which I just went off on a tangent about. Because I rarely give many marks for them. I might give one question in the whole exam. 
Otherwise, I try to keep the exam focused upon the content more than what I, uh, what I say. What I will, though, probably do in this exam is give you some practical applications. That means instead of just testing you on the words of the, the text, I might give you some practical examples. We said in the zakah, I might say you have a guy who has a hundred camels. What should he what should he give? Or which one of these is the right answer to give? Something like that. Uh, in the water, we might say that uh, a stream is mixed with, or someone takes water out of a stream and he takes a bucket of water and he realizes there is a smell to it. According to what you have studied in the madhab, can he use the water or not? It might be some more practical questions in this uh, example. Other than that, in that, in wudu, we pretty much covered that. And in the prayer, we only really got into the conditions of the prayer. And we did the conditions of the adhan and the sunan of the adhan. So you might get a question like, which of these are from the voluntary or the recommended acts in the adhan? And you could have to choose between which are obligatory and which are recommended, for example. Or you might get a question of what is meant by the word Muslim when we say that Salah is obligatory upon every Muslim. Or what is meant by the word Mukallaf. We said the Mukallaf is, and we said burdened. What is the meaning of someone who is burdened? Someone who is reached puberty and someone who has their faculties, and their, their mind. They are, they, are, they, have, you know, they are not insane. They are sane and they have reached puberty. Which two groups are, ex are, are not required to pray? Any of these kind of, you know, these kind of questions. The adhan, maybe some questions on from who is the adhan invalid. I might give like three different examples of people. One of them or two of them might be invalid. You know, for example, we say somebody gives the adhan in the wrong order. Or a woman gives the adhan. Or a non-Muslim gives the adhan. Or a child of three years old gives the adhan. And then we might have some and say which of them are valid and which of them are not are not valid. Which of these are conditions of the prayer? And we might give a list of things that are different, like a list of things that are in the prayer. Which of them are conditions? Remember the condition is something which is required prior to beginning the prayer. The condition is something required prior to beginning. So for example, which is the condition of the prayer? Surah Al-Fatiha. The answer is no. Surah Al-Fatiha is not a condition of the prayer. Surah Al-Fatiha is a pillar of the prayer. A condition of the prayer is something which is required before you start praying. <laughs> And we mentioned we went through those. So once again, I think in terms of tips, the most important thing is number one, you should try to revise. You should try, try your best to revise. Because some people come and it, it's kind of clear, like there is, there is no like revision going on. 
Um, and when people are getting like one out of 30, two out of 30, three out of 30, well, it kind of indicates that person could not have possibly revised because I don't make the exams really difficult. I mean, getting two out of 30. Also, another tip, very important, which I remembered is don't write too much. Some people lose marks because they keep on writing. You know, subhanAllah, I'm so easy going and giving marks. They said that the, the companions who died in the battle of Uhud. There are 70 to choose from. I gave you two. Mus'ab ibn Umair and Hamza Abdul Muttalib. Some people wrote Abdullah ibn Haram. Some people wrote other people. That's no problem. If it's one of the 70, every name that was written, I checked it against the source of the people who died in the battle of Uhud to make sure that you didn't put one in there that I didn't know about or something like that. But some people started to write extra things. Like they would write Mus'ab ibn Zubair. If they wrote Mus'ab and Hamza, I give you full marks. 